Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Some good cheer on pensions. Why you might be able to retire earlier than you thought. Is it time to take profits on shares? Why private investors seem to think so. And how much has your house price gone up? We look back at the last month and the last decade. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Mark Baker of Capita Registrars. Hello there. So let's start with the money news. This week, there was some rare but much-needed festive cheer for investors in company pensions. New research from Mercer has found that many employees may be able to work fewer years than recently feared and still retire on a reasonable income thanks to the strong stock market rally this year. By comparing stock market conditions and annuity price movements at the end of October 2009 with those at the end of December 2008, Mercer's new pension barometer shows that a member of a defined contribution, or DC, scheme will now have to work around six months less in order to retire on the same expected income. So, Alice, after all the bad news about pension deficits and delayed retirement, this is a very welcome change in fortunes, isn't it? It is a welcome change in fortunes. Um, I mean, all of the news this time last year, and in fact earlier this year, was the doom and gloom. Uh, we kept hearing about people delaying their retirement, um, some people being forced to only retire part-time and continue working part-time. And those who were forced to retire because they didn't have the option of working longer were retiring on a much lower income for life, which was really affecting um, their quality of life in retirement. So it was it was a big problem this time last year. So, so this is great news. This it's the combination of the rise in the stock market. Um, obviously, it's gone up quite considerably this year. And that's um, that means that people's pension pots are a bit larger. But then we've also seen uh, annuity rates doing a bit better at the moment. So that means that they can buy a better level of income with the pot that they have. So you have this kind of double effect going on. So what's the net effect then um, on when you can retire? Some people were looking at age 67, which uh, is not when they would have been planning uh, to stop working. Um, does it get a lot better because of this stock market rise? It does. I mean, at the very worst point uh, in all of this, which was probably March when the stock market would have, was at its complete low of, what was it, 3,500 and something, and now it's you know, well over 5,000. Um, at that point, if you had been planning to retire at 65, you were probably looking at nearer 67 to have the same level of income. Um, now, what Mercer has calculated is that you could reach your target income at about 64 and a half. So it's looking a lot better than it was. 
I suppose we need to be clear that this is um, affecting people in defined contribution schemes. These are the schemes where you put your money in and how much you get just depends on the on how the investments fare. Whereas those few people who are still in defined benefit schemes, they haven't got to worry at all because they're, they're going to retire um, at the age that they always plan to. Yes, I mean, those who don't have to worry at all are probably those nearer to the retirement age of their scheme in the defined benefit schemes. I think there are definite concerns over anyone a bit younger, say in their 30s or 40s, who's in a DB scheme, because there are a lot of question marks over whether these schemes are going to stay open because they they just provide too generous um, benefits in retirement um, to really be sustainable. But uh, the DC schemes, which are are more popular now, um, they... uh, they basically pass the risk on to the employee. And so so you're kind of at the mercy of stock markets and annuity rates when you retire. So it's more difficult to predict. But it also means that it's harder for employers to know when their employees are going to retire. So this could be difficult for, for smaller businesses. I suppose it means that there are almost two sets of uh, would-be retirees, those who know exactly when they're going to go, they're probably going to be at age 65, and those in these defined contribution schemes who are going to have to, I suppose, constantly look at the clock or Mercer's pensions barometer in order to get a feel for whether it's going to be 65, 64, 67. Exactly. Yeah, you really have to play it by ear when you're in a DC scheme. You don't actually have that much control over over your retirement income. And a similar um, position, of course, for those with their own pension arrangements, um, personal pensions or self-invested personal pensions, uh, SIPs, which I suppose just brings home uh, the message that you've really got to keep monitoring uh, these pension arrangements on a very regular basis. Exactly. You have to monitor pension arrangements, you have to keep an eye on the stock market, and you have to keep an eye on annuity rates. So probably a good idea to have a look out for um, FT money on the 2nd of January when we'll be giving the predictions of all of our columnists and uh, various experts. Alice, thank you very much uh, indeed. And if you'd like to know more about the uplift in company pension scheme values and how it could benefit you, look out for Alice's article in this weekend's FT Money with the Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, a decade of rising, falling and recovering house prices. Can you guess how prices have moved since 2000? We'll give you the answer very shortly. First, though, shareholdings. This week, Capita Registrars, which holds the trading records of 1.6 million UK shareholders in more than 2,000 companies, revealed that private investors are accelerating their sell-off of equities. In October and November, as the stock market rally stalled but prices remained stable, they sold a net £636 million worth of shares, more than triple the amount that they pulled out of the market in August and September. So are they calling time on the bull run and running for cover? Mark, you've examined all of the trading data. Is this a massive sell-off or just profit-taking? We think this is just profit-taking, Matthew. Um, If we look at how much they sold, £636 in the context of net buying now of a billion pounds for this year, that's even after those sales, a billion pounds they bought this year. Uh, And compared to some recent periods of selling, this is really relatively modest. So I think uh, private shareholders who invested quite heavily uh, towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year 
taking advantage of low stock market prices, have actually uh, said, well, we've run up nearly 50%. Enough's enough. We'll take a little bit of profit out. But this isn't a wholesale route. In fact, there's still some trading, some buying and selling going on, so, so indicating that they're not just pulling money out wholesale. And if you take the year as a whole, um, there is this overall net buying over the, the 12-month period that you've mentioned. But it also seems as if private investors are, are getting quite savvy in that they, they bought quite heavily when prices were low, and now they seem to be saying, right, let's, let's book these profits rather than missing out on them. Yeah, so in time and again, uh, our, our research seems to show that the old adage that private investors always buy at the top and sell at the bottom doesn't really seem to hold, and uh, they have traded quite cannily. So whether they're right, whether this is a good time to be taking some profits or not, I, I'm, I can't tell you, but... Um, they, they certainly haven't, um, haven't lost out from, from any major gains in the stock market over the last couple of months. It's been trading sideways, and that does seem to have uh, justified their decision. But as you say, it's, it's not a mass sell-off. It's not a rout, because that 636 million um, selling figure is, of course, a, a net figure. It includes buys that are going on at the same time. Well, where do you see people still buying? Well, that's quite interesting. We've um, had a look at what sorts of shares people are buying. And actually, the house builders have come back into fashion after clearly being far out of people's uh, view for some time. Uh, housing market has picked up a little bit. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, house building has also recovered from its pretty disastrous freeze at the end of last year. Uh, and the results are starting to come through a little bit more positively from the house builders. So we've seen some buying there. Um, the selling has mainly been, however, in cyclical shares, those shares that are more sensitive to a fall in the uh, in the overall stock market. So people are being a little bit more defensive. But as we say, this is not a route by any means. And this this move out of cyclicals, again, I suppose, is, is, is more evidence of um, private investors looking at perhaps arguably valuations, looking at fundamental measures, going into defences or certainly holding defensives, um, which of course um, do offer yield. Is that a factor do you think? Well yield is something that really is very important and quite often overlooked and something we've done some work on this summer and we'll be looking at again in January, considering how much uh, in dividends the UK is paying out and uh, you know, the banking sector used to be the big payers. Clearly, they're not paying dividends anymore. In fact, they're still raising vast amounts of capital from their shareholders. And it's the oil companies who've been taking the baton there. But, um, you know, yield is very important. And, uh, you know, across the board, it's utilities companies, food companies who tend to pay out fairly steady, uh, relatively strong uh, dividends that don't uh, fluctuate a lot, depending on market on, on the condition of the economy. Uh, you, you mentioned um, bank shares. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be uh, yielding uh, terribly much uh, for a while. But uh, have private investors run a mile from the whole financial sector, or are they still going into certain companies? Well, the financial sector has seen a lot of selling over the last two to three years from private investors. Uh, they have tentatively bought a little bit back lately, actually, but it's not really a wholesale move back into the sector. I think we saw earlier this year there was some interest in the likes of Barclays shares, for example, were down at, right down at the bottom and and when prices were that low some investors were tempted back into the sector but it's still a sector which is in some trouble it's still a sector which is demanding lots of new capital and as a whole i think the private investors at least have have steered relatively well clear 
And just finally, we're, we're looking back at uh, uh, the decade in FT money uh, this weekend. Um, this particular sell-off, where does that leave private investors' shareholdings um, in a historical context? Well, actually, um, in, a, in a recent historical context, it looks relatively good. Um, private investors can uh, celebrate the fact that at the end of 2009, their holdings are £31 billion larger than they were at the end of 2008. And that's only after a billion pounds of net buying. So most of that is all good news in terms of rising prices. Actually, it's even higher than it was compared to the low point in the market, clearly. But uh, in in long-term historical terms, actually, 162 billion is relatively small. And uh, private investors have generally been moving out of equities over the last few years. Well, I'm going to ignore that and just concentrate on the fact that I'm 31 billion or a share of 31 billion pounds better <laughs> off. So, uh, Mark, thanks uh, very much indeed for that. And for the full story of what private investors are selling and still buying, uh, you can read our analysis of stock market trading patterns in FT Money this weekend and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, house prices. This week, there was mixed news from the property market. House prices continued to rise during November, according to the latest research from the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. It found that 35% more of its members reported a price increase during the month than those who reported a fall, the highest ratio of rises to falls since November 2006. But while the Halifax House Price Index for November also registered a rise of 1.4%, which was the fifth consecutive monthly increase, the mortgage lender warned that house prices are likely to be flat in 2010. Go back a decade, though, and price rises look very different. So I'm I'm going to just ask a pop quiz question. Uh, Mark, over the decade, from 2000, how far do you think house prices have risen on the Halifax house price index measure? Well, I bought my house in 2000, so I'm going to take a stab that it was about 60% since then. 60%. Alice, do you want to, have, do you want to hazard a guess? Oh, that's a tricky question. It's I very mean, tricky. What, are we talking the average, across the whole country? The average house price in the UK. The average house price. I'm going to go with 100%. 100%. Well, not bad, because Tanya, you've been looking at this, and tell us the answer. It's actually um, 91%. Ah. According, according to the Halifax House Price Index. And all of these indices do vary a little. Yeah, they vary slightly. I mean, I think um, if you were looking at the nationwide house price index, it'd be more like 116%. So, yes, it does vary. But basically, the average house price um, in quarter one, 2000, would have been around £84,000. Um, that did, in fact, go up to about 199000 at the peak of the market in August 2007. Um, but obviously, since then, with our kind of, I think we've seen falls of over 20%, across the country, um, it's now fallen back down to 161,000. But it's not too bad if you look at 91% over the past decade. And when you compare what's happened to house prices with what's happened to other asset classes, residential property is still sort of way ahead, isn't it? It is. It definitely is. I mean, actually, I think um, there was some research recently by um, the property consultants Jones, Lang, LaSalle, and they actually said if you look over the last 10 years, um, residential property would have delivered about 8% per annum, um, and that's probably... At basically outdone the equity markets. And, and what do um, people put this pretty strong rise, in spite of the, you know, the correction that we've seen in recent years, uh, down to? What, what are the factors? I suppose the availability of cheap credit would be the first one to spring to mind. That's one of the main factors. I mean, from what I've been talking to economists about, the last decade, 
overall has seen quite actually benign economic environment. We've actually had low levels of interest rates, low levels of unemployment, and then we've also had increased competition in the mortgage lending market. So it's just made it a lot more easier for people to actually obtain finance to buy a property. And we've obviously seen the buy-to-let boom, and that's obviously on the back of sort of easy, cheap credit again. So I think those have been the main factors recently, and also the shortage in supply of houses. Yes, that's true. The uh, yes, the s- s- supply demand uh, constraints have certainly been, been playing a factor mm. recently. But I suppose the the sixty four million dollar question, or the eighty four thousand pounds average mm. house price question, is uh, what's the outlook um, for the next decade? Is there anyone looking that far ahead? I think it varies um, quite a bit. So a lot of people have been obviously saying next year could be flat, we could see falls. Um, there's some optimists out there who also think actually we'll see some house price rises. But I think overall people are confident that um, as long as we have sort of kind of a sustainable interest rate, right, like sort of increases, um, that actually the next decade could still see quite strong growth. And in the short term, uh, there are some um, estate agents, I think Clutton's came out, this Mm -hmm. week and said that they thought that uh, more properties might come onto the market in 2010 when people look at these rises in the Halifax and nationwide house price indices and think, Mm -hmm. oh, I can finally offload my Mm -hmm. property. And then the supply-demand factor comes in, we get an oversupply, and there's a double dip. Do you you think that there's that much danger of prices falling again? I think think there's a possibility. I think it all depends um, also with what happens with the mortgage lending market. I think if people are able to actually um, obtain a mortgage, if the maybe if the criteria eases a bit more next year, um, there could be a possibility actually that you know house prices won't fall that much because even though there's more properties on the market, there'll be people out there still wanting to buy a home, be able to sort of kind of move on the ladder. I mean, it's really first-time buyers is an important factor in this next year. I think if they're able to either come up with a deposit or actually um, be, obtain the financing, then there might not be that many kind of you know worries. It's the tragedy for them, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. the prices have been so low and more affordable for them last year or so than at any time yeah. in the last few years, and they haven't been able to get the mortgages to actually get on the ladder. Well, that's the problem. Exactly. So much will depend uh, in 2010 and indeed the next decade uh, on the mortgage lenders as ever. Um, Tanya, thank you very much uh, indeed for that. And if you'd like to know uh, how house prices and indeed uh, ICES, equity and bond funds and pensions, fared since uh, the millennium, then look out for the four-page special review of the decade in FT Money this weekend. But that's all for this week's FT Money show, and that's all for 2009 as well. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money, and you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back on January the 8th, 2010, with another financial lowdown in Danada form but until then it's goodbye and a very happy christmas and new year from me alice tanya and our special studio guest mark baker from capital registrars goodbye goodbye did you know the capital ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by capital group ceo mike gitlin through the words and experiences of investment professionals you'll discover who was their best mentor What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.